You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a platform we've created to bring the Nordic tech community together. My name is Charlotte Roberts and I'm your host. Firstly, I just wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone who's joining me um, today. Of course, Magnus, Anders, Sebastian and Alexander, we're going to be talking um, about building effective teams within a tech company. Um, So before we go ahead and jump in with the questions that we've got, if I'd just like to get an introduction from everybody. Um, So if Sebastian, um, if you'd like to go first, that'd be great. Yes, hello. Uh, my name is Sebastian Nilsson. I work for uh, Free Trade, and my job is to build the engineering competence in in Sweden. Uh, and the company's goal is to get everyone investing. Lovely. Thank you very much for that introduction, um, Sebastian. If Anders, if you'd like to go next, that'd be lovely. Yeah, sure. So, hello everyone. My name is Anders Abrahamsson, and I'm CTO at Guideline Geo. We uh, guide users all around the world to map the subsurface and we preferably with our solutions. I have a a background uh, since the 80s as a programmer and I'm passionate about uh, product development in different ways. Lovely. Thank you very much, Anders, for that introduction. And uh, Magnus, if you'd like to go next. Yeah, my name is Magnus. Pettersson and I've been a manager for quite some time, but uh, I'm currently a consultant offering my services as an engineering manager for Cumbi, uh, where I kind of they run day-to-day operations. But I also started as a developer once in a time. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Thank you very much, Magnus. And last but certainly not least, if Alexander, if you'd like to introduce yourself, that would be lovely. I'm Alexander Alexovsky and I'm the engineering manager into a data and analytics domain in H&M. I'm heading multiple teams into the analytics and data platform area as well because we have quite big, <laughs> quite big company and quite big responsibilities with a lot of personal in place. Quite interesting. Yeah, as I can only imagine. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, lovely. Thank you very much, everyone, um, for the introductions. Well, I'll just go ahead and jump straight into sort of the questions now then. Um, so the co- first question that we've got um, up is Anders's question. And Anders, your question is, what are the key ingredients when building an effective team within a tech company? So if Anders, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind your question, and then I'll let everybody else jump in. Um, being a CTO, of course, it's really important to kind of build the right teams, uh, both a big team of our entire company, but also our R&D teams. Uh, and I'm really excited about what makes a team tick, what differentiates great teams from the one who struggles a little bit. What are kind of the key ingredients to uh, building effective team, effective teams? So that was my question to you. Okay, so we should solve your job for you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, I have some ideas, but I'd like to hear more. I think uh, one key uh, ingredient is clear expectations. And uh, that should also come in, in line with the mandate the, the team has. So you kind of match the responsibility with the mandate. I think that's one key ingredient specifically. Yeah, I fully agree, and it's something we talked a lot about uh, is kind of agreeing on that on the right goals, right, and uh, building a clear sense of direction, shared journey, journey, so the whole team kind of agrees on the goal, 
Uh, yeah, and that's the tricky part, right? To have yeah. the mandate and responsibility. Uh, and I think it's really it's really interesting to think about that a little bit. I think just having being involved in in kind of defining the goals and maybe redefine them a little bit. I I think that is key, and it's uh, it's quite tricky to get right, but it's so important. I agree, definitely. I think one important component is to uh, give the team uh, what, but leave them the how. That usually builds intrinsic motivation that uh, people get uh, responsibilities, but within a frame. So it's not like free free hands to build anything. You know, go out and build Facebook or uh, or Gmail until tomorrow. Like it's within clear guidelines that will motivate people. Uh, I guess another component is like how well-rounded the team members are, you know, experience-wise. Uh, if you have a good mix of junior and senior people, you let actually both of them grow uh, because they teach each other things. And, uh, you know, how is the composition of the team business-wise? Is the product managers, business analysts, how, how self-going can the team actually be based on this composition? I think diversity is key, right? You need a, a diverse team if you can in different ways. Um, and, and it's also still really important to work in the same direction. Uh, we worked a lot Agile, and I think Agile is uh, it's a quite good platform usually, different versions of Agile to have that independence in the how. The team gets to decide how to solve it, but there's still a frame around it. But sometimes I agree on Sebastian uh, where he spoke a little bit about you know, different skill sets or different uh, experience levels, because it's also uh, very nice to have a dynamic within the team, personality-wise, that you have kind of the, the very quick driver one, and you have the kind of more realistic one, and you have the junior and the very senior, so you get a kind of interaction between them, and uh, then a great team spirit. Yeah, definitely. And it's, I, agree. Um, yeah. I agree, and I was like to refer to what Google had found out, like into the project Aristotle's, and then now they think they put it into a rework. And one of the major top points on that, and which I can see into the daily work, it's coming like the psychological safety that is present in the teams. The teams must feel safe to take risks and to do things on themselves. So all of these elements that you just mentioned, they completed each other. So in Google's way, and what I find like really, really accurate into the day-to-day -day work, the psychological safety would be number one. Then the dependability structure, the meaning, the impact that the team is uh, uh, doing, and how the individuals itself feel that the work that they are performing is meaningful and that they have an impact on what they do. For instance, if they did something and they deployed something in production, like well, understand they're going tomorrow into production you can feel the enthusiasm after the deployment and after this runs in production then they can feel the impact and the contribution they have done to toward the company and toward their themselves as well they take i think mm. people take that like personal achievement beside the company achievement so all these ingredients i would say that google did a wonderful job into uh, structuring in that way so number one yeah. i would say psychological safety first I think, I think what you mentioned uh, about purpose and meaning, that is just, it just speaks to me and to the team. 
if you have the meaning and the purpose, that changes everything, right? It, uh, if you're lacking a meaning and a purpose, it's so hard to build that right uh, culture that embraces diversity. Correct. Uh, yeah, if you I have the correct vision and if uh, the people accept this vision, they embrace on board and support, you have the recipe for any success in any development. Yeah, they definitely take ownership in a different way when uh, knowing their purpose and, and, you know, being very engaged in that. Yeah, and maybe influencing the meaning also, I think, a little bit. I think on, on a high level, you should in a company have a quite, quite clear goals. You want to go somewhere, you want to deliver products or services, uh, but it, it's all about the team, I think, finding the meaning that is in the same direction. That's when it happens. And then yeah. if you build that culture that is, um, I would say, supporting the intrinsic or internal motivational factors, I think Sebastian mentioned those external uh, motivational factors that are nice, maybe pay and rewards and, and things like that, but it's all about the intrinsic ones. Um, if we can enable, you know, um, some likes excellence, some like camaraderie, achievement, competing, some just want that um, safe environment. It's true, really true. interesting to see how you can do that in different ways. And it's really hard, I think, to find a good setup where you can facilitate all motivational drivers in a good way. Oh, it's very difficult because uh, some of those are created within successful teams by themselves, right? You have yeah. the competition, you have the creativity, you have the kind of acknowledgement of uh, different uh, achievements. Um, but uh, you can still try to find ways of acknowledging them with a nice little gifts uh, or acknowledgement in, in some way or form. I've used kind of the silliest things like uh, like cinema tickets or uh, a dinner at town if they've done something amazing. And that's worked very well, I think, in the past. Yeah, and I think it's usually it, it's a bit beyond the actual thing you receive. Sometimes it's about the competition of those cinema tickets or the achievement of getting something done and getting them. It's it's more usually about the things surrounding that reward. Definitely. Uh, and I'm I'm a little bit skeptic, for instance, you know, on the getting diplomas or the big prizes and stuff like that. It it works no. in some teams, but it usually doesn't work well for the entire team. Uh, no. So if you do it a little bit for fun, maybe, or ironic, or that usually works better. Yeah, I think it, it shouldn't be kind of standardized, like the, okay, the 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 developer of the month kind of thing, because yeah, classic. That, that doesn't work. Uh, it should be uh, kind of extraordinary in some cases, or a competition. Yeah. Uh, I think Sweden, it's actually a perfect place to do these small celebrations and victories, because we have invented something called FICA. <laughs> which you can yeah. always fit everywhere and i think everybody likes it it's always welcomed and you can do it uh, as a sign of celebration always and celebrate the i think we should celebrate the victories but we also you know when you do software and development in general you don't always manage to do the things exactly like you want it or they don't turn exactly on the very same order. So sometimes it's even good to celebrate the failures that we did because yeah. we actually did not fail. We learned something on the process getting there. We learned how to overcome some problem and 
or some challenge and then we become better into the day to day. It's actually not that much of the victories that makes us better. It's the how many times we manage to try to overcome some problem and what do we learn on the way there. So I would yeah, also celebrate uh, when we fail sometimes good. I would say, uh, OK. I fully agree. I think it's uh, it's how you overcome obstacles and hurdles. That's what's defined you as a team, right? How you work together and find a way to get it done. And maybe we should celebrate the efforts more than the, the results. Yeah, I, both. Yeah, both, of course. It's you should both. definitely not not ignore the results. That That's probably the start, <laughs> right? No, we, we can add two, two levels of celebrations, effort and results. So. Yeah. But I agree, sugar should be a reward, and uh, Swedish people tend to go for the sugar. So fika is a great way of doing that. I mean, guys are always up for fika. Um, yeah. I think it's also interesting. It's something I've learned as a leader that it's very different how you would like to be kind of um, appreciated. Some, some, some do achievements in a team, right? And the whole team is so happy about that achievement. Maybe one or two guys did most of the work. Um, but some prefer to not have that big celebration and uh, everyone talking about how great it was. Just like the quick, short kind of appreciation and not talking too much about it. So I guess it's very different also. And it's important to understand how we can boost each other a little bit in the team. That's the beauty of also diversity and having different personalities in the team. Somebody will be always a little bit more extrovert. Somebody will be more introvert. So. But if they manage to complement each other, then yeah. it's perfectly good. Yeah, definitely. Maybe something we haven't mentioned is, I think, communication. Of course, you always have the communication in there. In Agile, you usually have retrospective, which kind of you set a certain time to make sure you communicate, right? You should probably communicate more than once a sprint, but it's uh, it's usually a very good opportunity to make sure you discuss a little more than the operation work. I don't know if you worked with retrospectives or something similar. Always, all the teams, everything, they follow the agile majority of them have Scrum like a framework in which they are there. We have product owner, Scrum master, trying to have to fit into the Scrum framework with top people up to nine to say to have this flow of communication not obstructed. Whenever you add more people, it does not always mean that you're going to get more productive. It adds another level of uh, complexity. It's also showcased that they are quite effective. Communication is much better, and a lot of things get. I have seen the level of autonomy of the teams and how things inside get organized much, much better and much flowing. Simply, simply, it's amazing to see this and amazing to see how their performance and how their everything increases. It's it's really I love the agile way of work and. Hmm? Actually, the results and the outcomes you 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 can achieve with that. Well, what I think you get from Agile a little bit is some of the ingredients are kind of built into the process and structure, right? So if yeah. you don't completely misuse it, you will have some quite nice opportunities for the right ingredients in there. You need more, of course, but it's a, it's a good start. Definitely. Um, in all the things in in into the Agile and Scrum, for instance, serve its all the own uh, purposes, the ceremonies and all of that. Everybody gets to speak up, say their opinion, have a retrospective, and then understand what could what we should stop doing. What should we, for instance, do next? How how can we improve things? And it it has the own process. It's also bonding the people, 
with sharing opinions, difference of opinions. Everybody sees something with with a different eyes. But maybe I saw something like a good, maybe somebody else would perceive it differently. So you can get that on the retro. Definitely. And I think, to be honest, um, that what point that you just brought up there as well, Alexander, that kind of leads us on quite nicely um, to Magnus's question as well. It's sort of how do you create and maintain a creator's atmosphere within a team? Um, so if Magnus, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind your question, then I'll let everyone jump in. Yeah, definitely. I, I can uh, go. Um, I've noticed throughout my career that some teams are definitely more creative than others. And uh, I mean, you can do a lot of things to get that kind of creativity level within the team, but how do you maintain it? And how do you, do you kind of change the team from being more regular to being more creative? Uh, that's the question. That's a very interesting question. That's probably one of the best questions I hear. I have heard. It's really a challenge sometimes to to be creative all the time because it's uh, we live into a dynamic world that things changes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So in order we to be creative, we also need to have the time, and that is one of the resources we are lacking. Time. So if we manage to what for me and the teams have worked, it's well, it's having proof of concepts, like for the duration of, of the sprints or something, if you just set the time to try something, do this proof of concept, this sprint or this PI, try it. Regardless of the outcome, just try it. You have an idea, put it in place, try it. And yeah, therefore... I agree. I agree. I, I think that kind of proves also that you believe in them. They can try. They may kind of evolve from a, a regular prototype to something. It's it's a room for it in the process. Uh, I think that too. Yeah. And it so... also brings. <laughs> Sorry, Anders. And it also brings one thing. If you put the put it regularly into the sprint, like to have a proof of concept, they will start thinking on okay. What should we do for proof of concept this sprint? So basically, you you they will come up with an idea. It, people are so smart and amazing. You you will get the proof of concept and some wonderful creative idea every sprint. Yeah, I agree. And it's something I've talked a lot about this difference of uh, creativity and innovation. I think we're all born with creativity. We have the creativity. We have ideas. There's a lot of ideas, right? But it's a huge difference from going from ideas to making something, to creating something new to innovate. And it's usually the hard part is to create uh, great conditions for innovation, getting stuff done, trying things, proof of concepts, MVP, spikes. So it's so important to find good ways to promote uh, trying something, as you said, uh, and maybe make sure it doesn't stop at the, just talking about something, getting from the start of creative, creativity to moving over to innovation. Definitely. Uh, and that's a hard part, right? To get that kind of motivation going. Um, one way is the prototype thingy, that way you kind of look forward to doing something really bad. And um, But I think it, it's um, something one should focus on when kind of managing teams, just to get that kind of creativity going. Uh, I use a, a lot of humor in my day-to-day -day operations just to get that kind of 
you know, when they're stuck doing something, you could just ease up the kind of tension with some humor. Um, doesn't need to be good. It could be a kind of, you know, tiny inspirational speech uh, in the stand-up, uh, something like, uh, you know, uh, uh, don't worry about it, be happy. Uh, you know, I'll be back. Something like that, you know, just to ease everything up a bit. I think that has proven to be quite effective. I think you need to boost each other's momentum, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, maybe many of you have seen the first follower with you, right? The dancing guy. Yep. And this crowd of people following. So first it's one crazy guy dancing. It looks insane. And then one is uh, one follower is joining him. And suddenly more and more people are dancing and a crowd is dancing and it's not crazy anymore. And um, leadership is really important important but followship i would say in english is even more important to follow each other to boost each other if someone has a good idea and is creative uh, say, that sounds great don't focus on the obstacles and why it won't work uh, start with okay how can we get that working can we try it sounds really interesting yeah um, and sometimes and that, in team we focus too much on the problems right we yeah, start with yeah, the obstacles that's also a problem with the kind of dynamics within a team because you need both the kind of pessimist or realist and yeah. you have that kind of super optimistic guy that wants to go on every new technology no problems at all but that needs to be you know kept down by a pessimist so you need both kind of personalities to get a regular nice result uh, yeah the insanity check a little bit i think the mix is important right you definitely. probably need to have a little bit more optimistic and positive people, and a few a fewer of those maybe that are pessimistic. Otherwise, no. you tend to lean to not trying stuff. Yeah, 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 definitely. You you can't have too many realists or pessimists because then you kind of get down people. But you can't have too many optimistic people either because then you are on deep waters every time, like on the edge of you know managing things. So you need kind of balance that out within the team i think and that's an an issue in many teams is that you don't have you don't have every type of person or role or whatever Mm. you don't have all of the diversity you would like but if you talk about your culture and what you struggle with as a team you can take that role you can have someone kind of being devil's advocate or or asking the right questions or someone saying being optimistic even though they're maybe not that naturally so in great teams you kind of talk about it and you find good ways to work around it if we talk about creativity, it's good to always remember that it sort of uh, requires uh, a certain brain state, like it's called alpha waves. So the thing that kills creativity is like stress. And that can be from either like overall stress or the stress of being afraid uh, of failing. So that's something to keep in mind. So you need to allow failure and, and sort of take away stress to let people go into the right mindset to, to be creative uh, and you might have to hire for creativity because it is a skill you have to learn so you need to decide if you're uh, if you're hiring for creativity uh, meaning that that's like a prerequisite when you talk to people in the hiring process like you need to screen them for uh, at least some baseline of creativity, or do you want to build up their creativity? Because um, John Cleese actually wrote a book uh, where he states that creativity is a skill you can learn. So that's good to know. But uh, yeah, you need to 
sort of set uh, set the culture, you know, state that creativity is very important, repeat it, but also live it, because uh, otherwise people will not not go into that mindset maybe in a natural way. Yeah, but I also think it's more of a skill or a way of an approach to something than a personal trait. It's something you can improve on and you can have conditions that makes you creative, right? You trust the people around you, you feel safe, uh, you get time to reflect. So um, yeah, I think Alexander put it quite nicely when he kind of celebrated the the failures or the learning process of a failing. Uh, that gives that kind of you know sense of uh, you you are secure within the team. You know you can fail, and and that kind of key also to be creative. I think so. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but also, if you look at it, engineers are actually very creative person. We don't look that they actually have a very artistic side on that. Imagine you have written something with letters into an, I can name now epic or a story and something, and you describe some functionality or something. That person needs to create lines of code and bring this functionality to life. So imagine now in his brain, it starts his creativity, but it kicks in. Now what I have to do? How can I do this? How do I resolve this problem? So actually, if you look that artistic side, how people can solve problems, and it's not about the number of lines of code or something, somebody can solve something on much simpler way or with less code, somebody might do it on a completely different way. So they are actually artists, creators of something that it's written on a paper, they put it into practice, into real life use, into something that we can touch every day in the cars, in the phones, everywhere around us. Even now we having this team, teams meeting, it's also a part of the creativity, how somebody, this will probably some, even teams for somebody on, on somebody's board or a note, and somebody managed to transfer this into reality. And now we managed to communicate. It has a practical use. So, I want to see also the artistic side, and I believe that they have the imaginative side and cognitive functions to, to transfer something into code and practical use to every day. I love engineers and uh, I love all the things that they can do. Yeah, I think also if you if you look at us, I, there's some common traits among engineers, but it's more differences. and. But you need to, regardless engineer or not, you need to tap into passion, right? Yes. Everyone is passionate about something. It may be competing, winning. I think uh, um, problem solving is a big one among engineers and tech teams. That's a common one. Um, but it's really important to kind of identify what drives you, what you're passionate about. And if you're passionate about something, it's so easy to be creative if you trust the people around you and create a good working environment. So tap into the passions in different ways, and we're passionate about different things. Um, so I, I think that is key. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, there are a couple of personalities, like you have the developers that really want to find purpose. They are very happy to hear clients kind of or users being able to use what they've done, right? Then you have the kind of intellectual developers that celebrate the beauty of their creation, the beauty of the code itself. And you need to kind of keep that balance between them, I think. Yeah, and I think some focus maybe for excellence, uh, focusing on the last part you said, they really want to do it the right way. 
They want uh, the right setup, the right structure, the right patterns, do it the right way. And some focus much more on maybe not the optimal way, but uh, great results. You will make an impact. You make something that is much appreciated uh, by the end user. That is probably key to, to enabling creativity, to find different ways to tap into that, right? Yep. Absolutely. I love that. We'll um, move on now to uh, the next question, which is um, Sebastian's question. Uh, so Sebastian, you've asked, how do you measure that a team is effective with numbers? So Sebastian, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this question, then I'll open it up um, to everyone to jump in. Yeah, sure. Um, so we, we covered the sort of subjective part uh, that you can, from your gut feeling, uh, see if a team is performing well or not uh, um, you know are they coherent are they uh, feeling um, like they're free uh, uh, in solving how to solve things and are they intrinsically driven and all of those kind of things like that's something you can look at to get an indicator of if a team is uh, is working uh, working well but have you from your experience found any uh, like hard hard data, anything that's measurable to validate this as a complement, of course, to the other things. That's such an exciting and um, I would say hard to answer uh, question. I think there's different things to focus on. What is effective, right? Is it value, predictability, productivity, quality, stability, growth? What are we going for as effective? Um, but regardless, the numbers will just tell you part of the story, right? You can look at burn down charts, burn up, uh, bugs or defects rate, um, plan to done ratio, happiness metrics. All of those will just tell you, they give you indicators. Yeah, I, I tend to uh, believe in uh, that numbers can't tell you anything uh, more than the numbers themselves, because it doesn't tell you anything. It might indicate something. Um, but in my experience, it, it's so hard to kind of draw conclusions from it. Uh, it can be good that the team knows its own kind of uh, velocity or, or whatever to see if something is really crazy, uh, but you can't draw any conclusions by it. I, I think it's hard to use numbers to measure how well they are doing. Sorry. I think it's usually much better to use to talk about the way you work, right? Let's say you have a burn down chart and you see that you keep adding stuff uh, that you haven't planned for. Yeah. Then you talk about that. How can we avoid this or is it a good way to work? Uh, so I think the numbers usually helps you to have the right kind of discussions. Uh, but it's usually really hard to just use those numbers and say this is how effective the team is. Yep. I mean, it depends how we evaluate if we want to evaluate if a team is effective. And you know, usually we want to focus on outcomes instead of output. And then it's also, do we link this effectiveness of the teams? I would look more like the holistic picture of all the teams, not only one particular. And what are the results that we deliver and we perform as a company? And then we know if we have done a really good job. Our performance should reflect also into the company's success and into the and bring business value, right? Definitely. So measuring, yeah. measuring team effectiveness based on just numbers or velocity, it's not 
the actual value that the team gets for the company or for our environment or whatever we take as a as a benchmark we can set the okrs objective saying key results etc etc but we need to look also the business side how do we as a tech team contribute toward the, our company and how this company utilizes what we have produced and then we see if our company is progressing really good has a good financial result of course we are doing a great job so it's a how do we want to measure if this is something just we can measure for instance story points and velocity but this will be for our internal performance because it will not have value if we deliver 10 or 20 uh, stories or something this print it's the outcome of that yeah definitely what matters so yeah. so how do you measure that outcome but that is a summary on the whole company. How do we perform compared to the market? How do we compare on multiple, multiple, multiple factors? It, it mm -hmm. will not be only one. I but think I from a think company, uh, sorry. It's okay, but I do think that the business and the tech should be cooperating tremendously a lot. And everything that we do into the tech should deliver value to the company and to the business that we are, because on the end of the day, we are trying to create value for the company and for us, of course, we learn on this and that's how we get better and better. I think the jury in the end is the customers, the end users, right? Exactly. If you deliver the features um, over time and you, you kind of, um, you're better than the expectations, they will love what you do, they will be happy, they will still ask for more, but you will have a passionate will... user that stays, right? Yes, but, and uh, they will appreciate it, and yeah. that will reflect again back yeah. into your. Yeah, yeah, and if you do not have the case, uh, let's say uh, that a developer does everything beautifully, you know, a project owner comes in and they do a very good project or a program or anything, and that lands very badly <laughs> with the market. You know, no one likes it. So, mm -hmm. have the developers then done a bad job? Well, no, the, were exactly. you really effective? That's the question a little bit. So yeah, were you really effective? Well, you weren't because the end user wasn't yeah. happy or, or we failed somewhere yeah, else. But but maybe not the fault happy. of the team. So You can have two benchmarks. One, one can be, okay, we have probably done something. It's not that. The question that I would relate to this one, even if we failed on, during this process, did we manage to gain knowledge? Did we learn something? Did we, did we realize how can we change this next time we iterate to be a win-win situation instead of that? So I would more measure, okay, the knowledge level we, we got through, through this part of development, then instead of judging that, okay, this failed, it's a, we will iterate many times. We would, we will try things many times. We will fail many times. This is what it also has a higher value, mm. the knowledge that we obtain through the process. So the next time we will, or your team or my team or Anders team will deliver something with the learnings they got, you will see it will be even 10 times, maybe 10 times better than the solution you were trying to implement the first time that uh, failed. So I do think it has its value. So. How do you measure this? I think from one point of view, it's very easy to measure the effectiveness of a team, right? If I make it simple, it's uh, do we produce good or even great results over time, right? Deliver that as a team. 
and are people people happy in the team? They like to work in this team. So great results and happy team. That's mm. one way so of seeing it. What is a good result then? Yeah, and that's the then you have to look at the the company. What are they expecting? The CEO, the management team, right? If you're a huge company, it could departments, and that that becomes difficult. Um, but but try to see what the users are saying and uh, are, are you making a great mm. profit, right? That's good things to look at. But um, that doesn't really inform you on if a team is performing, right? One team could be performing not so good. So if your manager comes to you and says, is your team performing well? Uh, if you don't know and all the other teams are making sure the company is running uh, really well, uh, it mm. doesn't really reflect on that team. So I'm trying to focus on like the the actual team to compare to others like how do you say um how do you inspire other teams like look at this team they're actually mm -hmm. performing super well uh mm -hmm. they are do they're performing really well because of xyz you should be inspired because of that i would say this is measurable actually i'm sorry guys this is actually measurable and it's covered again i'm going to return back to google and uh, their dora research program as well and puppet and they have put this into the state, for instance, on DevOps, which you can read and you will have the indications of what it's a hyper, what it's a lead performing, high performing, what it's a medium performing, and what are the benchmarks uh, that they use to measure which team is performing high. But this is something that you can get like a statistics and you can measure like what is your lead time, what is your failure rate, what is your stability and things like that, that you can clearly get a measure from Jira or any other tool mm. that you are using or any ATIL tool. So this is something that you can actually me measure. I presume you have the state of DevOps and it's getting updated every year until 2019. We had like low performance, medium performance, high performance. Now we have elite performance teams that so they have taken this research and put it in practice and they trying to capture all the habits and all the rituals that the elite performers are doing or the high performance and try to put it into a it's not a very big document i think it's quite 19 20 pages it's uh, back to the same problem right so the, it depends a little bit what you look at often deploy and things like that so yes. it gives you some of the picture it definitely does, but you need you need a little bit more. I think a, a method I've used that is quite nice is both within and between teams is that you just change um, jobs, right? Tasks. So usually we tend to have the one who's most comfortable or experienced in a certain type of programming or whatever it is. They will do that. I know this. I'll do it. I'll do it with one or two more. Um, but if you really kind of just exchange things you do, it becomes quite clear. Okay, I struggle here. It doesn't have to be in a bad way, but just exchanging things. And even if you have several teams, just switch places, either individuals or teams, and see what happens. And then usually we'll see a huge difference in, uh, let's say we have points, use story points or something else, and we see, ah, okay, they seem to do it this way if they have a similar way of estimate. And it, there's a huge difference. So when you switch places a little bit in different ways, it will give you more data. So you could actually use uh, burn down or velocity as a, basically as use any metric, but it it will tell you part of the story, but that will be re really relevant to discuss. Mm. And if it's in the same team, the estimation will be roughly the same anyway, right? Since the oh, team yeah. estimates. Mm. 
I think it boils down to that it's more of a art than a science, right? There's a lot yeah. of factors. That I agree. Exactly. It's, it's very dangerous to simplify it also, I think. If you look too, too much on the numbers, you will ignore the people and it's all about people. Yeah, I think the numbers might be useful as a time uh, period thing that like the same team changes over time that might catch some uh, something that's uh, worth looking at. But yeah, comparing across teams is more difficult. Yeah, it's objectively, right? You, you see how the team is uh, solving problems, how uh, yeah. how the, the ability to solve problems or how they meet up uh, blockers or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And that gets that, okay, it's a super team that manages all the differences and changes throughout, but that isn't shown within in the metrics, right? So it's only subjectively you can kind of see that. So I agree on Sebastian's there. Uh, it's a subjectively uh, kind of estimated thing. Yes, it, you need to see the holistic picture always. It's not only the numbers that will give you the value or what is the effectiveness. So. Definitely. Oh, lovely. Well, that brings us on quite nicely then um, just to um, the last question. Um, so this is Alexander's question. So what do you what do you look to find when searching for the key skill sets for your team? So Alexander, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this question and then I'll let everybody else jump in. Well, this question comes like, like from if you look at the job advertisements and things like people and the skill set that we are looking for, they are becoming more and more complex. We want to have people that know everything. They are senior. They have knowledge of pretty much every every language of every tool, everything possible, etc. And as I'm observing and as you're observing the industry as well, all these job advertisements and everything, they become like two A4s or something like huge pages or something with a lot of demands, et cetera, et cetera. So my curiosity goes onto that. What exactly will look like a skill set in order to, to accept this person for our team and be part of our team? How do we manage to, to narrow down the skill set that we need? What are you searching for a skill set, for instance, for the team? What are you looking for? Ooh, that's a hard one. I, I can, I, it's a, I, I, it's I, I, can, I can start. So I think we all, uh, we, we, we usually start focusing on, we want those artists, right? And the rock stars, the best programmer, the best developer, the best electronics engineer. We, we, we tend to look for people really competent and skilled. And then we talk about great colleagues. I think that it's really important to find people with clear, strong motivational drivers. We all have drivers, but people that you can tap into the passion in different ways. That you can discuss and identify what will make you thrive in our organization. How can we tap into your passion and make it aligned to where we want to go as a company, the goals, the direction. And in a, in a really diverse team, you can feed a lot of people in a good way. But if you struggle a bit with diversity, it will be a very narrow um, opportunity to include more people. So I, I identify the passion and try to tap into that in a great way. That but will I be in line into the looking more into the personality of the person. And for yes. instance, that is what I will usually look for: the personality of the person, the attitude toward the things, how, 
over the challenges, etc., etc. Yeah, I, I actually think there's room for different kinds of personalities, uh, like yes. uh, not only the the rock stars, because you can't have more than one per team, right? Because the, the arguments, the competition and, and everything, you need one to be the boss around it. And uh, you could have uh, the, the hungry junior, of course, you could have the sci-fi guy who wants to try new tech, and you would have the pessimist. So uh, there's room for different kind of passions and, and that kind of thing, I think. And you need the kind of normie guy, the, the completely normal guy that has no passion for the work, but he still produces 100 lines of code every day. So you have that room for different kind of personalities and they can kind of use each other's skill sets to perform well as a unit. Do we Big passion for me many forms, right? I think yes. um, some are very calm, some are maybe more introvert or, or prefer to reflect a lot, maybe mm. communicate less. It's no less of a passion. You just maybe focus on different things and you, you communicate in a different way. So you will still have things you care about, things you prefer to Yeah, watch. yeah, definitely. definitely. So I think usually that comes in the way of seeing each other. Um, so I think you maybe wouldn't call it passion, but it's still things that makes you thrive, uh, intrinsic drivers and conditions that will make you enjoy working at the company. So it's so important to match it both ways, like the, what the company is looking for and what you as an individual and person is looking for. And I think Are sometimes we we tend to... ex extrovert people we try to focus on sometimes. Yes. Are we trying to, to say that we in into all of this, we are looking more into the personal traits, how they complete rather than, than the skill itself? Yeah, definitely. I think it's all about kind so, of the mindset and attitude rather than the skill set. And that's yes, the truth. Uh, because, uh, I mean, you look for very senior developers and you want that kind of uh, security. Okay, he's been doing this for many, many years, so he should be able to produce this much for me. But are you willing to take a chance on kind of not having that security, uh, just the attitude? And uh, I'd say that I would go for attitude every time, but I don't because I feel that I want some kind of level of security, but I really want to just recruit an attitude, um, but I, I can't do that. To me, I think the competence part or the skill set is more of a checkbox. You talk, you discuss, you figure out, you have the kind of right competence at the base level to work, and then you can improve. Uh, we can all help each other improve. So I don't worry too much about the skill set as long as we know it's uh, it, it's a good match for the job. Uh, you don't have to describe yourself as a rock star or an artist in, in your area. Yes, but when we are searching into our job postings and stuff, we are having this super huge demands. Yeah. yeah. We want so everybody we, to know. Everything. Yeah, so have we, we have like eight years of experience level. Right? Uh, and that's um, for a senior guy. And that's just insane. Eight years of relevant experience. I think that's kind of what, what you need to have to be CTO or CEO for a role like a five years relevant experience, but we demand eight years. So, I mean, uh, it's a different world out there. 
but it's also what I have noticed one thing into the people and the developers and everyone. Not necessarily always the years of experience reflect the seniority and the attitude towards seniority. In many cases, uh, have had the pleasure to work with persons who have had two, three years of experience, but their performance have been outstanding, even outperforming seniors that have like 15 years experience in center and center. So I would say into the tech world and into the engineering and especially software development, sometimes people can surprise you. Definitely. Yes, can definitely. Be open. I think some things that comes usually with experience is that you had uh, more opportunities to ma make mistakes and learn, yes. right? And also you have had more opportunities to adopt to a team and uh, so there's usually more opportunities, but it doesn't mean you're always taking those opportunities to improve and grow and learn. Uh, no, so but if you think about it, I mean, everyone can't get better and better and better and better at their work, right? So you just do your job and some some of them will become more more senior. Some just do the job and are, you know, good enough on it. And uh, that's the thing. The years tell you nothing. Yeah. But I think that's an important part, uh, the numbers being a little bit relative, because that, in my experience, people who have had shorter experience but higher quality, they've usually been in, <clears throat> sorry, they've been in an environment where they've been around people with very high quality, which sort of means that that's an aspect to take into consideration for your own people, that if you hire people of very high quality, you will let other people that you hire get exposed to those people and grow quicker as well. So sometimes some people grow from figuring it out and some people grow from mentoring. Uh, so yeah, that's that's people skills. You have to sort of figure that out in the people, ask them, uh, you know, bring in a, a super uh, great consultant for a couple of weeks and just let them, you know, spread the evangelism to the team and get them kicking. So there's a lot of uh, moving parts to it. Uh, like again, it's an art, not a science, right? Uh, 